So the text we read today is uh, commonly referred to as the institution of the Lord's Supper. And it actually it's in all, pretty much in all four of the Gospels, uh, although John treats it a little differently. Uh, and it's also given to us in 1 Corinthians when Paul is writing. And, and in fact, is Paul's version of it is probably the earliest uh, rendering we have of the Lord's Supper and how it was passed on. Uh, which means that it was clearly early, early on in the life of the church, this was an important institution and a ritual that was adopted by the early church uh, and, and put into some liturgical form, because that's the way Paul kind of conveys it to us. And, you know, over the millennia, it has had different meanings. And in fact, in Christianity today, uh, the Lord's Supper still has many different meanings among different faiths. For the Catholic faith, it is, uh, it is a ceremony that is filled with mystery and is perhaps the most sacred thing they do together. Uh, there's a, a concept called transubstantiation, which dictates that the host, the bread and the wine, become the literal body and blood of Christ, that the worthy participant might experience the very infilling of Christ's sacrifice. And I will say the Orthodox Church kind of has a somewhat similar approach to the, to the Eucharist, it's called, or which is the Lord's Supper. Eucharist is, means Thanksgiving, so it's a meal of Thanksgiving. In the Reformation, though, when Martin Luther started his business and uh, Henry VIII was doing his bit, uh, after the Reformation, the bread and the wine became sacraments, that is, uh, that they conveyed to one partaking of the bread and the cup, conveyed God's grace uh, with which the bread and the wine was imbued. This is called consubstantiation, if you're interested. Uh, but basically what it means is that the, the bread and the cup convey God's grace on to the one who partakes of it. And so there's an, there's an infilling of God's grace. Baptists, not very satisfied with the Reformation, wanting to go a lot further, uh, opted to profess that there was only one conveyor of grace, and that was the Holy Spirit. And thus the ordinances of communion became a powerful symbol of that grace. And it becomes a ceremony of remembrance. So the, the symbolism of the bread and the cup stirs up that grace that is conveyed to us through God's Holy Spirit. And it's for that reason, it's because of these differences that in the Catholic Church, once the bread and the wine is sanctified, only the priest can deal with it. And it's, it's locked in, a, in an ark and it's kept there and people can't eat it. And it's also why... When we're done with communion, uh, Christian and Carter can grab the bread and start mowing on it up at coffee hour because <laughs> it's not treated in the same sacred way. In our text today, we are told in the verses uh, prior that Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Passover meal. Uh, and this is another meal that's full of symbolism and ritual. 
Passover in the Jewish tradition uh, remembers the liberation of God's people from Egypt and slavery. However, it's also a ritual that looks forward for God's people and anticipates the coming of the Messiah. Certainly in Jesus' day, it was both a ceremony of remembrance and of anticipation. One that encapsulated the hopes of an oppressed people that indeed one day God would send a Messiah and that Messiah would bring with him liberation. All the hopes and the prayers of the people of God were in that ceremony. The Passover always also involves bread and wine, but also a lamb. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Jesus stands in place of that lamb. And, and Jesus' re, reinterpretation of Passover signifies to you and to me that all of those expectations, all of those hopes, all of those dreams that people had for a Messiah and for liberation from oppression and liberation from the oppressor, all of those are met in Jesus, the Lamb of God. For the Jewish people, that lamb was eaten at Passover it was, and was symbolic of their liberation. So too, Jesus as the sacrificial lamb is our source of liberation as well. We are free at last. Amen? Free at last. And so Jesus at the Passover redesignates certain elements of the meal and makes, them, uh, makes the meal about Something else. And that something else is the fulfillment of all of these things that I described before. The bread becomes symbolic of the body of Christ. Jesus said, this is my body. And like the unleavened bread of Passover, the bread, it's called often the bread of affliction, or the bread of haste, the bread of communion invites us to experience both Christ's affliction on the cross and Christ's vindication in the resurrection. Affliction as he hung on the cross, executed by the state for subversion, executed by the state for daring to suggest that an oppressed people can be free and vindicated in the resurrection, which was, it reminds us that Christ is God's yes when the world tried to say no. It reminds us that while the powers and principalities tried their hardest to stop the mission of God to redeem the world, they were unsuccessful. And even when it looked like they had won, God's plans were not thwarted. He lives indeed. Amen? And then the cup, like the wine in the Passover meal, represents God's promise and the covenantal bond that we have with God. And in our case, grape juice. I'm going to do a little side, here's a little sidebar 
the reason we drink grape juice really goes back to uh, the temperance movement in the 20s. And we have the Methodists to thank for this, actually. Uh, a Methodist deacon who happened to be a dentist applied the, uh, the, the idea of uh, pasteurization to grape juice in order to supply it to the Methodist church so that they could uh, stop taking what they called the devil's cup, uh, the cup of wine, and instead uh, partake of unfermented grape juice. Uh, and that, uh, that deacon, uh, his name's Thomas Welch, <laughs> proceeded to uh, produce a lot of grape juice uh, for a lot of churches and uh, eventually made a, a lot of money <laughs> off that idea. So, and we are probably enjoying Welch's grape juice even today. <laughs> anyway, that's why we drink uh, that's why we drink grape juice. It's a remnant of uh, the temperance movement um, from the 20s. <laughs> and when Jesus says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, he is tying himself to the sanctifying act of pouring the blood of the sacrificed animal over the altar at the temple. Part of the temple ritual of Redemption that took place in Jerusalem. But probably even more significantly, Jesus is fulfilling a prophetic word that comes to us from Jeremiah 31. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. And it says this, it says, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I had that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, and I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people." No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Jesus, in saying this is the new covenant in my blood, is saying this is Jeremiah 31. The Lord has done this and will write the law on your heart. It's no longer about who's in and who's out. It's no longer about, uh, uh, you know, who's obeying and not obeying. It's no longer about who's got this and who's got that. And who's keeping track. And are you paying your tithe? And are you going to church? And are you doing all these things? It's no longer about that. It is about the relationship that one has. It is about the infilling of God's Holy Spirit in our heart that conveys to us the, the do's and the don'ts that we need to worry about. It is about that relationship, the new covenantal relationship that draws us into a deep and abiding bond between ourselves and the creator of the universe. It is about never letting our iniquity and our sins, which we are destined to do, 
We can never, we can seek perfection all day long, but it, it just isn't going to happen. And God recognizes that and says, you know what? I will forgive your sins even before you do them. Because I don't ever want that to come between us ever again. A new covenant. A new relationship. A new promise that comes to us from God. In this fulfillment of God's promise, we are invited into that deep, intimate, and abiding relationship. Never to be thwarted by anything we do or anything anyone else does. I dare say communion is our most, even though it's symbolic, and some, I know some people get bothered by the fact that we're stressing how symbolic the things are, but communion is nonetheless our most significant ritual we do. Every Christian faith engages in it in some fashion or another. Every Christian faith partakes of communion one way or another. Beyond our own experiences, it is an act that is not only communal between God and humanity, but it is a communion of one believer to another. It is our bonding act, and it is a demonstration of our oneness. No matter who we are or where we come from or what our background is, uh, I, I, I can't help but note with some fascination of who was invited to this meal. It was everyone from Andrew, Philip, Peter, Peter who would deny Jesus three times, and even Judas was a participant in Christ's communion, in Christ's Last Supper. It really says to me that this is not about what we do or have done And even though Paul warns us to never approach the table in an unworthy manner, it's not dependent on your goodness, but your willingness and your desire to be one with God and one with each other. We are all invited, not compelled, but invited to come to the Lord's table and receive the goodness of God and receive the grace and enter into that new covenantal relationship. And all of this is to remind us that we are gods. That we belong to God. We were purchased with a price. And that Nothing can ever take that away. Let us pray. Loving God, as we prepare ourselves to come before your table, we invite your grace to be at work in our hearts. And may we actively, even now, remember. May we remember all that you have done, all that you have are doing right now and all that you will do in the future. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.